This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbrough, and glad you're joining me again this week. And we have another great one for you today. I'm going to be joined by Nicole Sauce. She is the host of the Living Free in Tennessee podcast. And she's just going to talk to us today about, well, we're going to talk about all kinds of things as we usually do on this show, but uh, we're going to talk about her journey into homesteading and how she kind of ended up where she's at and what she's doing. But we're really going to focus on building self-reliance and freedom into your life. And uh, I think she has a lot to offer on that topic. Um, and she's, she's just, uh, she's doing a lot of really cool things where she's at. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy that interview. But before we jump into that, I thought I'd just share a few things, uh, what's going on around here on my homestead. And, um, we had our, uh, big freeze <laughs> a couple days ago. We had our, uh, woke up to a 20, I think it was 27 degree temperatures here at the homestead. And I planned it about everything already. So, uh, I had to toma- I had tomatoes in the ground. So I, the night before I was scrambling, me and my wife got out there and and we did all the, the covering and, uh, I, I kind of triple covered the tomatoes. I went way overboard on the tomatoes and the peppers. Um, but it all worked out. I mean, I had milk jugs cut with the bottoms cut out of them. I put over them. Then I laid sheets over that. Then I had the row cover over the top of that. So I had like a triple protection. And if that wasn't enough, I took my seed mats that I have in my greenhouse, my electric seed mats for, uh, for uh, propagating seeds, and I laid them on the ground next to the tomatoes, a couple per bed, and plugged those in underneath all that row cover and um, trying to generate a little bit of heat under there. Well, it all paid off. Everything survived. Um, so when we had it just, I had row cover over everything, even, even cool, uh, cold weather plants. I just, it was easier just to roll it out over the entire beds all over the whole property. So yeah, it worked out pretty well and everything survived. So, uh, I'm glad about that. Cause it was, uh, I knew I was taking a big risk by planting everything early like I did. So, uh, I'm just fortunate we got through that without losing anything. And it looked like, looked like everything fared really well. So I did lose a couple cucumber plants. I had them covered, but they weren't covered very well, but fortunately I had some uh, more of those in the greenhouse. So I was able to just replace those. So no big deal. Uh, we had to, we had a, uh, it all worked out pretty good. Um, see, we're about four, I think four days away from hatching on the quail now and the quail legs I got here in the uh, studio and they'll hatch and we'll get those in the brooder and get them in the, in the cages and, and, you know, constant expansion of, of livestock. I have a rabbit that's due with some uh, kits here in a few days. So just, uh, it's that time of the year, you know, a lot of things are going on in the homestead and, uh, good things are happening. So, uh, ever growing. Um, but yeah, hopefully you fared that weather well. I know a lot of the United States was uh, suffering with that cold uh, blast. So hopefully your gardens did well and you got everything covered up and uh, got through it. So enough of that. Let's just jump right into our interview with Nicole Sauce. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Well, I'm joined today by Nicole Sauce. She is the host of the Living Free in Tennessee podcast. Uh, Nicole, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, like I said earlier, uh, we should have made this happen a long time ago because you have a lot to no offer. No kidding. Yeah. And, uh, well, so do you. I've listened to some of your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I make myself sound good by inviting on, uh, you know, knowledgeable guests and that helps me a lot. <laughs> that makes me look good. <laughs> but, uh, now you, um, you're down in Tennessee, obviously from the name of your podcast. And, and well, I think what first, uh, pointed me to you is I, I think I found you right when you first started. You was just a few episodes in and, uh, this, mm-hmm. how, how long ago was that? Like three years ago, probably. 
2016. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been a little while. You were just a few episodes in, and, uh, and I, I'm all the time searching for good homesteading podcasts, and I came across mm-hmm. yours, and I actually went to high school down in the area where you live, so I, that kind really? of, you know, it made me kind of think, oh, wow, I'll listen to this, because, you know, I identify with a lot of, of what you're talking about. Yeah, I, went, I grew up in Cookville while I was there through my high school <laughs> years in Cookville, so, yeah. That's funny. Well, Cookville, just my gym clothes yesterday so now my choir doesn't happen and my gym closed crystal has nothing left for me i'm i'm, I'm mad about it yeah, well you know i everything's i tell you what i've been just so aggravated with this everything shut down i mean you know i understand and there's people on both sides of the fence but it seems like there's the things that are that are open I, I don't care that they're open, and the things that are closed mm-hmm. are the things I wish were open. So it's like, I don't know, everybody's uh, everybody's idea of what's you know what I mean? essential is you know, different. I, I get it on the choir. You know, we have yeah, like yeah. 75 people in the room. Most of them are over 60. Mm. And yeah. so, yeah, I get it. High-risk yeah, yeah. group. The gym, though, a bunch of young people with doors open to the outside, very easy to be separate from each other because it's not one of those, it's a CrossFit gym, so it's not one where you're, like, right on each other. Yeah. And uh, they actually voluntarily closed, and then the shutdown happened, so they couldn't do any kind of reopening, even just for outdoor classes. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, four people who started a business eight years ago just lost their entire dream. It's uh, really sad. Yeah, there's. I have a feeling we, we ain't seen the end of that. There's going to be a lot of places that just aren't going to be able to weather the storm, I'm sure. And it's a, yeah. it's, it's sad. Yeah, it's very sad. But it kind of brings me around to what I want to talk about with you today, you know, which is, you know, some of the topics. Before we get into that, though, I, I mean, I'll we'll come to that in a minute. I just first, I, I think a lot of our audience is, you know, we have a lot of the same audience, but there's a lot that aren't. Mm-hmm. So uh, could you take a minute and just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up where you are? Sure. I came out of college with a teaching degree in German and music and discovered really quickly that a high school teacher was not a good fit for me. Hmm. And it was mainly because of um, the regulatory environment inhibiting my ability to assess a class, set the curriculum based on their skill level to move them forward. Because there were, it was just, it was right around the time that they were starting to really prescriptively say what had to be done in each class in the in the areas where I was. So I went into executive training and worked a lot with uh, English as second language training and support and cultural training for families moving from one country to another. And then from there, transitioned into software. At some point, realized the job was not my passion. And at the same time, discovered that some of my political ideas might not work. And I remember sitting there, and it was about mass transit in Portland, Oregon, and I was looking at the light rail system, and I said, well, if I was in charge, it would be done this way, and that's how it would work, and it wouldn't have made it so people commute double when you put a train in, in time. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about that some more, and I thought, you know, having to have me in charge is not fair. The whole idea of central planning is not fair because there's no way you can really properly assess what needs to happen to help people because different people have different needs and there's no way to assess that. And so I happened to be working on the same floor as a liberty-oriented think tank, ended up working for them and working in the liberty movement for 14 years trying to change how central planners work. And I got so frustrated with that that I just about exploded because, as you may know, changing things from the political side, it it also doesn't work. Like, you have to – it's a game that's rigged, and I'm not the person who benefits from that rigging. Um, Hmm. And I exploded and started a podcast called Living Free in Tennessee talking about the things I can control, which is growing my own food, teaching people how to be – better planners with their pantries so that when a situation comes up where you maybe you're out of a job or something, you you have enough food for your family and, and how to get value from your land and start taking those first steps towards uh, self just being self-reliant and more independent so that J-O-B that you think is loyal to you when you've discovered they're not loyal, mm-hmm. you're in a position to not drown. Right. 
So, so that's that's where I am today. <laughs> yeah, that's what led you there. So dude, your your solution to the the problem was uh, move to Tennessee and start a podcast and start homesteading, right? <laughs> yeah, and grow coffee and yeah. Yeah, you got a lot of little side gigs. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes too, because I find that really fascinating. You're doing a you got a few a few things going on on the side hustles. Yep. And uh, I think that's Absolutely. a yeah, I think that's really good. Uh, I think it's a good path for a lot of people to go down. You know, to have some have some, uh, you know, some variety in your life, so you have some money coming in, some diversity, you know, things coming in from mm-hmm. different places. And, and as most of us know that, you know, it's, uh, if, if you put all your eggs in one basket and you drop the basket, it's, uh, or the basket gets bumped and breaks, uh, you know, you got problems, but you know, if you got a bunch of different baskets, uh, it's a little safer. A little. Yeah, or it's a little less safe because you don't do any of them well. You have to watch out for that. Yeah, that that's true. <laughs> I mean, you can, yeah, you can spin, that's what you know. Let's go ahead and go down that path for a minute, yeah. Because you know what, mm-hmm. what I think with the with the uh, the side hustles. I mean, there is a danger of that. Like you find you don't do as many things well. Um, yeah. Do you have to try to find side hustles that that um, that are easy and aren't that aren't uh, you know if you're going to have multiple side hustles, do you try to find ones that you know aren't super time consuming, ones that drain you mentally? I mean, is there a plan with that 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 makes it so you can do more better? There are plans for everybody. So everybody's going to be different. And when you, when you walk down the side hustle path, you want to do it with some forethought of why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason is I have a full-time job and I want to get a little bit more income and hopefully build a nest egg, for example, or, or turn it into my full-time job someday. That's, that's when you would think about, okay, I'm going to try this side hustle. Does that work? I'm going to try that side hustle. What you don't want to do in that situation is seven side hustles while working a full-time job because uh-huh, yeah. you'll, you'll work yourself to death. Yeah. And nobody, I mean, that's not why we live, right? It's not to work ourselves to death. So I think that's one approach. If you're trying to do it to put together a full-time income, I think you need to think about side hustles that feed each other. For example, in the homesteading world, if you raise meat birds, you can raise egg layers and have meat and eggs. Mm-hmm. If you then partner with a CSA, you can um, add delivery of baskets of vegetables with your eggs. So you can start stacking things so that you're putting the same effort into multiple side hustles. I've got a friend who roasts coffee in Seattle and he lives in the city and he runs you know, Grubhub and Uber Eats and stuff like that all day long while he is working on his roastery because he doesn't have to get things out on a schedule to ship them. Mm-hmm. And if a really well-paying Grubhub job comes up, he does it. And if a crappy paying one comes up, he doesn't. And he's able to be choosy because he doesn't have to have that income, but it's just, ooh, 20-minute trip and 50 bucks, I'll do that one. Yeah. Yeah, I find so, when – I mean, I have a few – you know, little side hustles here and there that are temporary a lot of times, you know, like for, for a while I might be selling some comfrey cuttings and, you know, and then it might mm-hmm. be just doing different things. I might work on some cars for people, you know, and just do different things to bring in a few bucks here or there, do something like that. And, and what I find is that, um, I work best when I can pour myself into something mm-hmm. really heavy for, for many, many hours. And, and when I'm yeah. doing things for like two hours here and two hours there and an hour here, an hour there, that, that, that's hard for me. Yeah. Well, so then you, if you're doing side hustles, you don't design it that way. You do more of the thing like, I'm going to do one this summer where we're raising meat birds. Yeah. I'm going to raise 10 extra meat birds. I'm going to do a poultry processing workshop and everybody gets a bird on the way out and I'm going to sell tickets to that training, right? So A, they get some meat and Mm -hmm. B, they get training. And then I, my goal is to make enough money to offset the cost of raising all the birds. Yeah. So you just kind of, and that's just because you have this, I mean, I have the skill of processing so I and teaching so I can do that. But that's, that's an example of, I was going to do the meat birds anyway. And all I had to do was add one day where I feed people and teach them, and it pays for the whole thing, and then my food is free. So, you, so in in a way, you take one side hustle and mm-hmm. try to make multiple incomes from that side hustle. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense because then you you know you you, you know cause you're, of course we only have so much time and so much uh, mm-hmm. energy to pour into something. So yeah, it's just that just seems like a better way to do it. And I, I think about that with like podcasting, and you do too. Uh, you can use mm-hmm. that podcast to make you know a couple different incomes and and do things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, uh, so 
would you say that, that, you know, side hustles are part of living free for you? I mean, that, you know, because you don't have to work, you don't have to, you can, I mean, I guess work a full-time job and just have one job. Uh, would you say that's part of what you believe is really good about living free? I mean, it, it helps to live free. So I think it is important if you want to increase your independence to redefine your relationship with the tax collector. And when you own your own business, you make money, like you sell something, you make money, you subtract your expenses for whatever you had to do, mm-hmm. and then you pay taxes on what's left. When you have a job, you make money, you pay taxes, and then you use the rest to pay your expenses. And yeah. so by doing that, I don't have to earn as much money to live the lifestyle I want to live, which then means I have more freedom to focus on what's important to me. So I do think, you know, side hustle, not specifically, but I think learning how to to take control of that financial relationship with the government is really important. Yeah. Yeah, I I had a uh, uh, conversation with a friend at work one day, and I'm you know of course everybody knows me. I knows I always have a few things going on, trying to you know little side hustles here and there. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and he just called me out on it one day. He said, "Why?" <laughs> he said, "Why you make pretty good money at your job? Why are you doing all that? Can't you just <laughs> can't you just work one job, work hard, go home and relax, man? Do you have to just you know bust it all the way around the clock like that?" And it did make me think. It's like <laughs> you know your life does look a little easier than mine at times. So do I need to do that? Yeah. <laughs> And it did make at me the think same about time, it. though, if you lose your job and you have this other uh, at ecosystem that you've built around mm-hmm. yourself, it's going to be hard because you lose income, but you still have some income. Right. Right. Yeah. And then imagine what it was like to live in the dot to work in the dot com sector, which I did when it crashed around. I think it was two thousand that took the big like nosedive. Maybe it was two thousand four. I don't remember. It was in that time where all of the the rug just got ripped out from under everybody and you lost your job, which was paying, you know, maybe 80, maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year. If you were, I mean, some people made more and what you could get was entry level for Starbucks Mm -hmm. for a little bit above minimum wage. And like that was the option or be unemployed. Yeah. If you have an ecosystem built around whatever it is that your passion is, you have income coming from that eco. That's actually what happened to me here is I was working a really well-paying job and had to leave for health reasons. And it was, it was a nonprofit I had started and I shut it down and went from having a pretty predictable salary to, I guess I'm going to start selling some duck eggs (laughs) (laughs) and some coffee because I need income. I had already started the podcast at that point, but I had no idea how I was making money that first year. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I, I think that, that, I mean, when I look at like having a little side jobs too, to me, it is a security blanket, you know, cause if something does happen, you've got something mm-hmm. to fall back on. I mean, and also it, you know, it's, even if you don't need that money, you can just put it back and save it for, you know, events yeah. like what are happening now, <laughs> you know, you can just put it back. Yeah. And even if you weren't working when everything goes down, you don't have the side hustle going on during that time. Cause in my, you know, as a, I know a guy who he has some side hustles, but he can't even do anything with his side hustles right now because you know, the quarantines and things that he can't even mm-hmm. do his side hustle. But over the last you know few years, he's been able, been able to build up a pretty good nest egg. Um, so he hasn't really had to stress through this, uh, you know, this what's going on in the world right now with everything shut down and him not working because he did lose his job. I mean, I've actually been off for, uh, what, six weeks now with my job. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, Scary. and I should be going back, I think next week or maybe the week after, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a, you know, it's been a while, you know, and it's like, you know, if you weren't a little bit prepared for that, that could be bad. You know, uh, I did get unemployment, but it took a month before I got my first check on unemployment. So well, I have a friend who worked like in a, in a restaurant bar thing. Mm-hmm. He just got his first unemployment check two days ago. Yeah. It takes a while. And his stimulus check has still not come. Mm-hmm. So and, it was, you know, and, and that whole time rent is due because he was, you know, he's renting, not owning, like that, everything. He was he was trying to keep a positive attitude. Like, I'm watching him on Facebook try to post positive things and every so often he would just say, like, how do they expect us to live with no money? This is not working. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when the average American just doesn't have, you know, more than maybe a week or two <laughs> put in the bank, you know, for, for to pay their bills with, uh, that that could be pretty stressful. So, yeah, I think uh, living in a way that, 
you don't spend a lot of money. Number one, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you kind of live within your means, you know, put back some money, do some side hustles if you, if you can. And, uh, you know, and try to, I think it does build freedom in your life. It builds, to me, it not only builds freedom for living, but it's just freedom from fear too. You know, you don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow as bad as the person who doesn't have that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think having a support network is also part of that. Like having Mm -hmm. your finances in order, super helpful. But if you have a strong family or a strong network, that also can help you through uh, really hard times. And I think having varied interests just puts you in contact with many other people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a, I, I was, I had cancer back in 2012 and I was off work mm-hmm. for several weeks during that too. And, uh, yeah. and I remember that it was the network that we had around us was part of how we got through that. I mean, we had some money saved up. We was able to pay bills, mm-hmm. but there were still people reaching out and just helping us right and left. I mean, we weren't even asking, which was what the amazing thing was. People just were doing it, you know, and, and, you know, that's an, it's amazing to have people like that in your life and around you. It can be part of that network. And, um, and it's not just family, it's friends. And, and, and I've experienced it in the online space and, you know, like our Facebook groups and things like that as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, uh, what you can build around you, um, and when you're just part of something bigger than yourself like that. Yeah. I think, and it takes, it takes the perspective of how can I serve the group, right? So every time I've seen somebody say they can't find toilet paper, I text them and I say, do you need toilet paper? I don't have tons of toilet paper, but I have, like, I have stocked up for my spring workshop, which has been delayed, so I have extra toilet paper right now. And I will man, nine rolls of toilet paper to somebody if they really need it, right? Um, <laughs> and I think if you give to your network that way, it's really helpful. I've been really lucky, because I'm alone here, that my two next-door neighbors are really good friends, and when this started, we sat down and said, okay, we're going to operate like a family here. How do we get through this, all three of us, without, you know, losing our shirts or getting super sick and dying or any of these other, how can we work together on that? And that's what we've been doing. We've been working on each other's properties. We've been making sure that food supplies are in order, everything. And it's it's worked really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. And that's good to have that around too. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of people hear you talk about that and they're probably a little bit envious of that because they wish they had some of that uh, around them, you know, and, and they can, I mean, it takes some work and it takes effort, you know, and, and friendships don't come easy, really. I mean, people think they do, mm-hmm. but I mean, real true friendships don't, uh, you have to work at them and uh, to build that into your life, but it's worth it. It's so worth it for sure. Yeah, and, you know, you can get that if you're a church goer, you can get that through your church. Mm-hmm. You can get it you know, from your gym. I was telling you my gym just went out of business there. A lot of those people are like family to me in a yeah. lot of ways. That's why I'm so sad about it because I know the four owners are devastated. And I know everybody who was, you know, like, place you'd go <laughs> if you had a bad day and you go work out and talk to people to cheer you up and you go, well, now that's gone, right? And it wasn't necessarily the owners that did it. It was just that that was that central hub. And I think there are so many of those in our lives that when you start finding those communities and learn how to nurture it, it, like it doesn't have to be your next door neighbors, I guess is my point. Yeah. It can be, it can be that person who's in, in your Facebook group that you've been discussing, you know, how to, how to separate or plant comfrey properly for Mm -hmm. a long time. And you see they need something and you say, I've got that or they see you need something. If you foster, I think, that culture in the communities, and I think the homesteading community already is this way kind of naturally, you you end up all being more stable and secure and powerful because you're willing to help each other. And that's that's why that's one of the reasons I love homesteaders, because they are. They're they want to help themselves and they want to live off the land and they want to learn and have this lifestyle. But when they see a a homesteader with a goat with a health problem, they're the first ones to say, like, do you need me to come out there? Can you send, I'll send me pictures and I'll talk you through it? And and mm-hmm. that's always been something I love about homesteading. Yeah, and and, and I'll tell you that um, what I'm seeing now more than probably ever is I've, I've seen so many people talk about wanting to be part of communities like that and want to do things on their property, want to start living a homesteading lifestyle, want to start living more free. And, and it's just this mind, you know, they just – Talk, 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 and be, and you know, and I understand, you know, it's, 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 
I do. I mean, it's the world we live in. It's just easier to go on about normal life, you know, sometimes than it is to take those steps, even no matter how bad you want it, really. But what I'm seeing is, though, is a lot of people are taking some action because things like this are a wake up call. You know, for me, I mean, crisis in general is a wake up call. I mean, for me, it was cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago that said, get off your butt and get to work. Um, I think a lot of people are getting that that kick in the tail now with this. And, And I think that may be the only good thing that really comes out of this, you know, is that a lot of people will will think differently that'll change their mindset and it'll cause some people to take action that might not have took action before you know all this happened yeah and so then we as established homesteaders need to say okay how can we help these people mm-hmm. because the answer is not that everybody needs to move to the country and have a homestead right you need to have a homestead mentality wherever you are whether that be proper pantry management or raising quail or figuring out how to plant apples in your yard that look ornamental so that you can get some food off of your land or just learning, you know, a new skill. Yeah. Cooking from scratch. I mean, you don't, you can do that from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and these are just, these are things that, that people, you know, that no matter where you live, you can, you can do it. And I think it's important, you know, that people take these, these steps now more than ever. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I say that, but I felt I've always felt like it was important. You know, I just think that this is the thing that wakes people up, Um, you know, and it was my excuse, too. I remember back in 2012, you know, I would talk about I talked about homesteading all the time, getting me a piece of land and raising me some animals and growing me a big garden and doing this, doing that. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, you've got stage three colon cancer. Uh, You can't go get your land now. What are you going to (laughs) do? You know, And, and it was like a wake up call for me to say, okay, do it right here. Do it right now, right where you're at. And do as much as you can. And you know what? I was able to do quite a bit. <laughs> I was pretty amazed at how much yeah. I could do. <laughs> I mean, one raised bed is easy to manage, and you can get a ton of food off that, just yeah. vegetable-wise. Mm-hmm. And, or containers. I don't know. I, I, so I try to talk to people where they are when they start asking questions rather than berate them for not having taken these steps sooner mm-hmm. or or tell them they need to, you know, have a 21-acre homestead. I have a three-acre homestead. I can barely keep up with it. I actually can't keep up with it. So I don't know how these people do their pieces. I guess they have tractors and stuff. But, um, you know, a, a city lot, which I had when I lived in Portland, Oregon, a city lot, you can do a lot with that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's – springtime you know it's really it's just now the beginning of planting season and, and in a lot of places a lot of places haven't even really started yet um you mm-hmm. know and and there there's a lot of people that are afraid of the future i mean we're hearing meat plants closing down we're hearing you know just all kinds of things happening where it could get you know hopefully not but it could get where it's a little tougher to stock up on food from the store at some point in the future what what advice do you have for people just say okay no matter where you live here's some first steps maybe you could take to to start right where you're at doing something well this is going to sound nuts but the first step i think people should take and they may have already at this point is to assess their pantry Mm, what are you storing what do you have stored and organize it and the way I recommend people do this is you have a long-term storage in one place, like your garage, your basement, your laundry room, under your bed. It just depends on what size house you have. Right. And then you have short-term storage in your kitchen, and you have your extras in that long-term storage. Every time you take something out of long-term storage, you reorder. into it. So long-term storage, short-term storage, you reorder. Okay, so once you get that kind of assessed and organized, I think the next thing you need to do is assess what you actually use as a mm-hmm. family or as a person if you live alone. And and that's the food journal. And, you, you know, if you if you take a spaghetti sauce out and have spaghetti, you write down, you know, one package spaghetti and one package spaghetti sauce. If later that week you do it again, you write a tick mark next to it. So you have tick marks. When you've done that for a week or two, you have a pretty good idea how much cheese, milk, butter, bread, lunch meat, like go-gurt, whatever it is you eat that you eat. And once you have that, then you can start the process of stocking up. And um, the way you stock up is, you know, let's say go-gurt is the thing you decide to stock up. I don't know why it would be that. But go-gurt today is the example. Um, If you say, okay, my family goes through seven of these a week, next time you go to the store, buy 14. So that's Mm -hmm. called doubling. Until you have enough to have a two-week supply. And then once you have a two-week supply and you're eating the oldest and, and filling in with the newest, 
Well, then you go to the spaghetti sauce and you do something and have a two-week. I think getting a system like that, which I know sounds really type A and and it can sound like challenging to manage, but it's not as challenging as you think. I am a messy, disorganized woman and I have managed to do this. So if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> I not- think starting there and getting those, you know, toilet paper and paper towels and cleaning supplies and food and all of that into a rotation where you have a four week cushion is key because then when something like this happens and everybody's running to the store, you're like, I have a month. I can order online delivery, and if it takes three weeks to get here, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or that's, if uh, I lose great, a job, yeah. I mean, I lost a job. I had a year's worth of toilet paper stored because I'm crazy. about. I don't like running out of toilet paper. and I didn't like that I had that much. But anyway, I went a whole year without buying toilet paper that first year, and that was a huge thing for my budget because I didn't need to make the money to – Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, you know, when this all started and our, I mean, our Walmart was wiped out and everything and everybody was going to the grocery store and spending four and $500 on groceries. Uh, my wife and I, we spent nothing. We didn't even, I think we went to the grocery store and yeah. picked up like five or six things that week. We were like, we just don't need anything. We got a couple of gallons of milk and like, I mean, we just, yeah. didn't need, we didn't need a lot and we were just, we didn't sweat it. We were like, well, if this thing goes, you know, if this thing goes like a couple months, we might, you know, be in a little bit of, you know, food trouble, but we had no worries for a couple months at least, you know, and, and, and on a lot of things, it was a lot longer than that. Just, you know, on a few things, it was maybe a couple months. We just didn't, we didn't sweat it. We, there was no buying toilet paper. There was no buying, um, you know, paper towels or yes yeah. papers. We had, we, we, I wouldn't say we're like hoarders and we got like tons of that stuff. But we, we have a fair amount of it, you know. We stock up enough to get us by for a couple months at all times, you know. And, and, and uh, yeah, we just didn't have that worry. So it wasn't, you know, a, a big deal. And I remember when this kind of all went down, I, I seen on the news a couple times, or even on social media, people were going crazy about all the the preppers who were cleaning off the shelves. And I yeah, was like, like those aren't preppers. Yeah, those aren't the preppers cleaning off the shelves. They already have their stuff. Those are the people <laughs> who weren't there. preppers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's yeah. just like, yeah, people who are prepared don't run to the store and clean the shelves off. They don't need to. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, know what you need, what know what you have, know what you're using uh, before you move on to the next step. I mean, because you can say, I want to start growing food, but if you don't know what food you're eating regularly, don't yeah. know what you need. I mean, it, it's, yeah, you're right. I think that's a great first step. And it is something I probably would have overlooked. I mean, I usually go straight for the garden. Let's get some stuff growing, you know, but like you said. Yeah, I think that's step two, though. Step yeah. two is learn to grow stuff because a lot of plans in a scarcity situation is I'm going to grow my food. I've bought this random can of weird seeds of stuff I've never grown, and then they don't grow anything. <laughs> and so the first time you're learning how to grow a plant is really needed. Yeah. Right? And that's not a good way to do that. Growing plants takes time and learning. If, if you're motivated to become more independent and grow plants, if you're learning how to plant stuff that's easy to grow, like mm-hmm. zucchini in Oregon, right? Zucchini in Tennessee is not easy to grow, by the way. But zucchini in Oregon is easy to grow. Okra <laughs> and sweet potatoes in Tennessee. Like, go out and talk to a couple of people. Find out what grows well. Grow a couple of hard things, but start growing stuff. Don't be upset when something fails because something always... I mean, you know this. Have you ever had a year when nothing, there was no failures at all? No. <laughs> no. But something always fails. If you plant diversity, something doesn't fail. Yeah. And... Um, I think learning that building it into your lifestyle is just like, you know, grocery shopping that's built into your lifestyle. That sets you up for success. It'll help you this year, but it will help you for the rest of your life. You'll soon discover you never want another store tomato again. Right. Because you'll be growing yours and they'll taste so much better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I think that's great. Now, but there's some people who, who are living in places where they really can't have a big garden. They can't grow a lot. I mean, they can grow some little things. I mean, you can grow some lettuce here. You can grow a couple things in a pot and almost everybody can do that. Um, I can't mm-hmm. think of too many situations where somebody couldn't do that. But, you know, I mean, what would you say to the person who can't grow anything? I mean, are, are, are they just out of luck or is there anything they can do? It's very rare I've met somebody who really can't grow something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, like, my uncle and his um, girlfriend live in New York City and living quarters are tight. She always has herbs growing somewhere. 
right? And right, and like right now they have a balcony, which is like awesome. Or last time I was there, they do. I don't know if they've moved since then. So she had herbs and a pot garden, like little things in a yeah. pot. Well, okay, if you don't have a balcony, you can't do that. But you can grow herbs inside. Yeah. You can grow this inside in uh, two square feet. So if you can find two square feet and some grow lights, you can grow something. And yeah, I, yeah, I've, that I've grown lettuce in in the house in the middle of winter with no problem whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, but if you can't do that, like if literally you have a bedroom and there's not two square feet, or you're living on a couch in a, in a living room, I don't know, then it's time to look at your your local ecosystem of mm-hmm. of jobs and side hustles and start figuring out ways to do the one thing you need to do, which is build up cash. Yeah. And, you know, that could be, like, literally that's shipped right now or Grubhub or, like, any of these shopping apps. Those things are instant money. Or look for ways to, to build value or find somebody that has a backyard that lets you grow there mm. if, yeah. if that's the thing you want to do. I think you kind of have to listen to your heart Yeah. and, and build that. But it's, you know, <laughs> you might be thinking, I mean, if you're in that situation where you really can't, you might be looking at, how do I get a more secure living situation where I can? And then what do I need to do to get there? Yeah. And I'm even thinking of the person who maybe they're financially okay. They're just living in a place where it's hard to grow things. Maybe, maybe most of their windows are on the North side of the house. They don't get a lot of direct sunlight. And they, even if they, maybe they could grow some little things, but it isn't really enough to, to add up to a lot of actual food in the pantry. Um, you know, and then you, you know, you can go into a farmer's market and stock up on things mm-hmm. and learn to preserve that food and, you know, put up some good healthy food still and, uh, and still do it that way. I mean, you know, that's, that's an option for some people who, who, um, you know, are just limited even on how much they could grow. So despite the fact that I grow a lot of my own food, I go to the farmer's market every week and spend some money. <laughs> and, I get to know the farmers, and when they're in that situation where they have too much of whatever that week, I know mm-hmm. that they can sell me high volumes of tomatoes or whatever, and I will can it. Or yeah. they can trade me, one of them trades me cabbage for half the sauerkraut, and I make sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and by being involved in those communities, I do think you can really do a lot. And you can preserve your own food. I actually spend less money on food because I do the canning than most people do every year. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, and like, it's because friends, I get everything all at once. Right, <laughs> so I have yeah. these crazy weekends, but yeah. Well, you, you know, like, I'm on a pretty small lot. I mean, we're in a, you know, a quarter acre total here with, since I got two lots now. And, uh, I still don't grow corn because corn takes up a lot of space yeah. for what you get. No so way. I grow, I grow a lot of other stuff and I leave the corn. And you know what? We can buy sweet corn here so cheap at farmers markets and at farm stands and things like that. They just sell it by the, you know, they got these brown paper bags just loaded with it. And we just go and buy, yeah. we'll, we'll buy a bunch of that and freeze it, store it, you know, can it, whatever. And, um, and we'll have corn all year and we don't grow a single year and, and that's okay. You know, we don't mind doing that because it's a trade off, you know, with something we don't want to grow because of how much room it takes and, we're able to have plenty, and we can support another person that's uh, that's selling it. You know. Yeah, and I do think I think you need to think about your role in in your food system, like you have, and realize corn's not my thing. Mm-hmm. I want corn. This is how I'm getting corn. That's that's exactly how you make that decision. We don't grow corn here either because it's hard to grow here. I get I get enormous pest pressure. Yeah. It, so why? It, it grows like a weed in Indiana. It really does, but you know, yeah, it's I'm just, sure. but it takes up a lot of space. So we just don't mess with yeah. it. But I, I mean, I'll, and it's probably our, it's probably our number one favorite thing to eat, you know, as a side dish. You know, we eat a lot of corn. You know, we eat a lot of corn on the cob. We eat a lot of canned corn. It's just something we eat a lot. We, eat, you know, several meals a week. We have corn with it, but we just don't grow mm-hmm. it. You know, it's just one of the things, you know, but it sounds crazy not to grow something you're eating that much of, but not when it's so readily available at a cheap price. Oh, no. You know, it's it just, not crazy. So there is some specialization. And the people you're buying corn corn mm-hmm. from have like acres and acres of it. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then, like I said, they they sell it dirt cheap, and it's like, yeah, we're just going to go that route. But I really, I mean, I but I enjoy growing a lot of the other stuff that you know we can grow plenty of tomatoes for a whole year when we 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 grow enough i don't have to ever buy a tomato um we can mm-hmm. grow plenty here on a little piece of property we grow enough beans because i mean i've got trellises everywhere and about everywhere there's a trellis it's got beans growing up it you know so we get a lot of beans and uh, cucumbers you know i can a lot of cucumbers we don't and pickles and things and we don't need to we don't need to buy anything like that so, i mean there's things you can grow even on a small lot that you know you can say i okay these few things 
I'm going to put enough away for the whole year, but there's going to be a few mm-hmm. things I can't, you know, so I'm going to try, you know, get those from other people and try to source enough to, to put that away as well. And, and like you said, you know, you keep track of what you're using, um, you know, keep an inventory on that and know what it is your family eats and how much you go through and, you know, and just kind of set the numbers and, and, and figure out what it's going to take for you to go several months and, you know, have several months of food in your house. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I can tell you on four square feet, Inside my house on shelves, I grow, and this is going to make organic people really upset, but I grow lettuce hydroponically right now mm-hmm. Yeah, with lights and trays and no pump, and that has been enough to feed three people through this whole thing a salad every day. Really? Wow. And, you know, people have been on me about it not being all organic, which most of my growing practices are, and mm-hmm. I've just been learning about hydroponics this year. I do aquaponics usually. Mm-hmm. I used to want fish in the house. And um, I have to say that this tastes better. I'm convinced it's nutritionally superior to what I can get in the store grown organically and shipped from California. And I had it the whole time. Yeah. So I've been pretty happy with that system. I am going to tweak it and figure out if I can use worm castings instead of the nutrients I buy. Mm. But from a, you know, limiting my impact on the world around me and, and increasing my ability to grow lettuce. Like four square feet has fed three people for, you know, seven weeks now. Hmm. All the lettuce we can eat pretty much. I want to, I wonder if you could take a system like that and actually take water from your aquaponics tank outside and just have it sit still in that system in the house. I wonder if that would work. I don't know. I'm afraid the algae would get up because part of why yeah. my aquaponics system outside doesn't get super algaed out is the, well, the fish mm. are in there eating it, but also the yeah. water's moving and so there's oxygen in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't know if you had, I didn't know if you had a closed system where the light wasn't getting yeah. to the water or not. I didn't know if that was the. Well, I do keep the light from the water, but I'm using the crack key method. So it's like mm-hmm. there's a plant, there's an air gap, and then there's water. Yeah. And I don't have any pumps or oxygenators in there. Because okay. I was just using what I had, right. and it worked. And, and now we're we're actually putting a whole system in front of my house that's separate from the aquaponic system because we get late blight here on our tomatoes. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a closed system this year, yeah. without because my fish have passed on the blight, which we think comes from the soil. I think it's because I have wicking beds as part of the oh, system, yeah. and yeah. so. Yeah. So what I've now been reading about is a guy who makes uh, compost tea out of worm castings and uses mm-hmm. that in a closed system like my tomatoes are in and doesn't have to add nutrients and he doesn't know why it's working. So we'll we'll be experimenting with that later this year. Yeah, that's a That'll take time. Idea. You got to get the worm bin. You got to get the worm castings. You got to make the tea. <laughs> and then you, you know, the, <laughs> the only way it. I've the only way I've been able to beat the blight is just you know I always have a lot of tomatoes outside, and, yeah. and you're right, they always get. I mean, it, just about every year, at some point in the year, they're going to get some blight, you know. And I just try to get what yeah. I can off of them while I can get it. But yeah. I've actually had really good luck with the tomatoes in the greenhouse. I don't. I actually grow some in the ground inside my little greenhouse after I get all okay. my actually after I get all my seed starting done in the year. I just pop. I just, I take out I got these removable the shelves come out of the uh, the I, you know I have like the stands in there for the shelves and I remove the shelves and I grow the tomatoes up through the shelves almost like a tomato cage and I don't have any trouble with the blight in there it's like the wind carries it or something I don't know but it just keeps them away from that and now I've not tried yeah. growing tomatoes in my aquaponic system. because to be honest mint has pretty much taken over my aquaponic system <laughs> <laughs> it's a mint bed that's all that is. <laughs> Well, you know, at least you have lots of peppermint tea for the winter. Yeah, we have. I have all the mint for tea or any other purpose I could possibly want. <laughs> I got plenty of mint. Let me tell you, if I could figure out a way to sell that to the neighbors, I'd have it made. <laughs> yeah. We, we see ours grows in the creek. We call it creek mint. Um, that's how I get my mint every year. Mm-hmm. But my neighbor has been gorilla planting mint all over the, the holler in the last three weeks. So we'll see what happens. So you're doing you're doing a lot down there. I mean, you've got you've got aquaponics, obviously. So you got some things going mm-hmm. on there. You're doing some cracky uh, 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 hydroponics in the house. Hydroponics. Hydroponics, mm-hmm. and you're doing you're doing. Um, you have chickens, right? I have ducks. I have you, three oh. chickens right now that are free range and eating bugs, but. I have okay. transitioned from chickens to ducks because I like okay. their eggs better. You like that? You like yep. okay? You just like you like raising them better. I mean, you find them an easier bird to raise. 
Yeah, they don't scratch up my garden mm-hmm. as much when I make yeah. the mistake of leaving the gate open. So yeah, they're okay. less destructive, although they make terrible mud puddles. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a friend who just got some ducks, and all every day all I hear from him is, man, these are some messy creatures. <laughs> they are messy creatures. You want to have room for ducks. And yeah. I have a pond on property, which they found, so they're pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so you have, you have a pretty large garden. You have an in-ground garden, too, right? I mean, you're not doing everything with aquaponics, right? Right. So I have a I have a hydroponic system with a pump that's just being turned on as we have this call. Like, it's been crack key style because the pump wasn't working. Well, now mm-hmm. it's going to work. Uh, and that's in front of the house, which is south-facing. So I'm trying to make the whole front of the house this oasis of edible plant shade area where I can have a cocktail at night and enjoy myself. And then above the house, I have another garden plot that's pretty big, and I have a hillside that I like to grow squash and, and sweet potatoes on because it keeps the weeds down. Yeah. You, you oh, still have pigs. Did you hear about the pigs? No. I mean, you, know, you used to have goats, but you still have, you have goats anymore? I have a goat. One goat died. I'm getting a replacement goat. We are finishing some fencing things before we do that. But, yeah, the goat is really just weed control. I don't milk her or anything. And she just weeds are insane here. So I didn't, I didn't I know if it ate any. Around the yard. I wasn't sure if it ate any weeds or not because every time I seen a picture of it, it was on top of your house. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. I mean, there must be weeds up there. She really <laughs> likes the, my roof. <laughs> so so you got, it, you got into pigs too, huh? So, yeah, we actually – so I came out – one day to feed the chicken ducks because they all hang out together. Mm-hmm. And there was a pig in the yard, and it was pot belly pig, and we tried to find the owner, never did. Eventually, Marty became aggressive and became freezer food. <laughs> and then somebody had free AGH, American guinea hogs, and we adopted those, and they were more pot belly pig than guinea hogs, so eventually they became freezer food. This year... Um, as this whole shutdown happened, part of the family meeting was how do we get the three of us work together to raise more food. So one of the neighbors is doing rabbits. We're going to run some Mm. meat chickens soon. And we like pork. So I put out on my podcast, you know, I think I want to add a pig again this year. And one of my listeners said, I have a red waddle female. If you want to buy her and drop her off. And she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's, and I said, is she friendly? And he said, yes. I've been working on developing a relationship with her because I don't want to send her to freezer camp. I would like to breed her and then have an ongoing uh, pig process here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, That's good. So That's we have good pigs plan. again in the pig pasture. <laughs> how, how, how much property you, are you on? I'm on 3.2 acres. So not, okay. it's not huge. Yeah, but you it's have plenty of room for that. Yeah, plenty of room for the yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you ain't gonna run a, a cattle farm on it, but plenty of room for a nice little yeah. homestead for sure, and plenty of animals. Uh, but yeah, no horses some... or cows here because it'll no, look a yeah. if I do yeah. that. Well, yeah. yeah, you're fine then. Uh, now you got some woods around you. Obviously, you do you do a lot of foraging, right? Yeah. So the I am surrounded by hunters who own eighty to one hundred and eighty acres, and they mm-hmm. leave it wilderness. And they've given me permission to hike on their land as long as I don't hunt, which is fine because I can hunt on my land. And so I go walk just about every day and look at wild, look for wild edibles. And so it's been a 14 year learning process here as I just, you know, I touch the plants and then I have to figure out what it is and then I have to figure out if it's medicinal or edible. And foraging in the woods really has added a lot to the, Mm-hmm. to the um, food security here during this time, too, because in, in spring, all the spring greens are coming out and the mushrooms and, you know, all of that stuff. So look, the fact that I had that knowledge going into this, because we didn't go to the store for six weeks, mm-hmm. um, it was really helpful for from a variety standpoint, just adding variety to the diet. Yeah, I think that's great You're, that, you know, it is to me it's, more further proof that you don't have to have necessarily a lot of land because there's other options where you can get out and mm-hmm. and forage and things on other land. Like where I live, I don't have a lot of land, but we do a lot of foraging and hunting and things like that because I live like five miles away from a wilderness preserve and they open, you know, it's got all the hunting seasons and we're allowed to forage there and, and it's uh, hundreds of acres. And I love that. You know, I can go there anytime I want and nobody forages there. People hunt there, but nobody forages there. I think people are just so afraid of getting poisonous plants that they don't start. 
I can, I can walk and in there and, and fill garbage bags full of, of raspberries yeah. and blackberries and, you know, <laughs> things like that. And I mean, there's just so many in there and nobody picks those things. And I mean, it just blows my mind, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something people don't realize. I do think if food were to get scarce, you would see the foraging, um, increase. Yeah. Because sure. as people become more motivated by hunger, they start learning things quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think the reason we have hunting seasons and regulations is because of the uh, depression, because mm-hmm. <laughs> people were just cleaning out every animal and everything. Well, I was thinking about turkeys and how they almost went extinct, the wild turkey. Mm-hmm. In, in, and it was specific to Tennessee, but I'm sure this is true other places. During the Civil War, everything got overhunted because people were starving and mm-hmm, yeah. you don't give a fig about hunting regulations when you're starving. Not that they had them then, but tomorrow if everybody's hungry, they don't care if it's deer season or not, if they see a deer. Mm-hmm. And so they got overhunted and then some of their habitat was destroyed by war and then they weren't coming back. And so they started developing a hunting culture for Turkey here, which, you know, set limits, but it also, made it a desirable desirable thing to cultivate. Yeah. And as part of that process, we have wild turkey again everywhere. And and that's that's a story that happens has happened with multiple animals where once you turn it into a, a recreation it, it becomes something that comes back. Or once you turn it into something like buffalo that you can eat at a restaurant again, suddenly people are raising buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how uh how you could over hunting you i mean i look at the number of deer around where i live and it's just amazing i mean I, we have so many deer around here and i can't even imagine that you could i mean just hard to believe you can over hunt them there were just so many i mean you just see them by the hundreds sometimes you know in the fields and stuff you know mm-hmm. and it just blows my mind to think that you could over hunt them i mean it, there was it's pretty heavy pressure at one time in history to to wipe out the game yeah. you know <laughs> yeah you can over hunt anything really oh yeah yeah yeah, even even uh, I guess even mushrooms because we haven't been finding any of those this year. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you know, for for me the oyster mushroom season was not very good this year. But yeah, usually I, I find many pounds of oyster mushrooms. I found like two two cycles of them. <laughs> well, I, I have a couple of friends that found a lot of morels up here, but I I haven't uh, I haven't been out a whole lot. I only went out a couple times, yeah. but I didn't find any, and I was like, okay, now I'm just getting upset. Now everybody's finding them amazing. <laughs> Well, I love I them. I found they're my really first good. morels ever this year. I was so. Happy. Oh, really? Yeah, they're not yeah, quite as big down that deep. area as they are up here. No. They seem like a little more plentiful up here. But uh, I remember when I lived down there, it didn't seem like that was something. Ginseng was the thing everybody hunted down there. It's like they had ginseng season, man. Everybody tore that up. Yeah, I haven't actually gone looking for ginseng yet, so I have no idea what it looks like. That's their first one. I don't know what it looks like. I mean, I know what pictures on the internet look like. Yeah, but until you yeah. see the plant, you don't really know what it looks like. Right. Yeah. I so. used to get invited out to go on ginseng hunts with people down there and stuff. And I didn't, I was from Indiana because you know, we moved down there when I was a teenager and I didn't have a clue what they were even talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But everybody was hunting it I, just to sell it and make money, I guess. But <laughs> see, what I need to do is plant some and then it'll grow and then I'll know what it looks and then I'll look around, and it'll be all over the hills around me. <laughs> Probably, yeah. You'll wish That's what like, happened with Jerusalem artichokes. I was like, oh, they grow here wild. Got it. <laughs> now they're <laughs> well, all over my garden. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful area down there. And I tell you what, if you're going to live free somewhere, Tennessee, that area is one of the best places you could do it. I know that's just a great area, and, and I always just was amazed at the, the beauty around there and the abundance and, and just everything that was happening down there. It seemed like a... You know, it's just a really, um, I call it the hub of the Cumberland down there. It's just a beautiful area. Just, you know, I just always loved it. Yeah, I always say if I'm going to get stuck somewhere where I have to survive in the woods, this is where I want to be. Yeah, it's nice. Because it's also got a a very wide variety of edible things you can find compared to, you know, like Alaska. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And the climate's relatively mild. I mean, we get cold winters, but not always and not very long. Right. So. I do, I do like this area from a living free standpoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and the weather just. Wait, I mean, even though you have a winter and it's and it's cold, it's nothing like Indiana. <laughs> I can I can nope. verify that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we uh, we get some cold days here. We don't get cold months. I mean, how how long have your has your gar- have you already put your garden out? I mean, is everything out already? Everything should be out. Everything is not <laughs> out. But we like I'm putting sweet potato slips out today or tomorrow, and. Yeah. 
pretty much everything can be planted now. It's a little on the early side for something like okra. Mm-hmm. But even that, if I put it out now, it'll be fine. Yeah, I took the plunge. Tomatoes and, uh, are, you know, three feet tall outside. I think our average last frost date here is like uh, May 10th, and uh, I took the plunge a few days ago and just planted everything. I said, I looked mm-hmm. at the 15-day forecast. It looked pretty good. I was like, I'm going for it. I'm just going to I'm just gonna go for it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like plant roulette. Yeah, it is. You have more in background I, so that if I, they I, die, you can put more out. <laughs> I, have, I have a few things. I did put all my peppers out, which is risky. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Well, I'm making covers. Peppers actually will, will handle some yeah. of these. I, I have some row cover and stuff to throw over if we get a frost yeah. or something. And just, you know, as long as they don't hang out cold too long, I guess I'd be all right. But I did take a little bit of a chance. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. We're going to see what happens. But, uh, sounds like, uh, sounds like things are, uh, you know, where you're at and, and the things you're practicing are paying off for you. I mean, it, it sounds like you've really, you have built in a lot of freedom in your life and, and, you know, you're doing, some a few jobs. I mean, you've got a few things going on, but you know, it sounds like you you've worked them together where they all kind of intertwine. They all kind of work Thank together you. to where they don't overwhelm you, and you're not doing anything, you know, halfway. It's kind of you're able to pour yourself into the things you're doing to an extent to make them beneficial and 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 um, you know make a profit on them. And uh, and it sounds like like I said, it's it's really uh, worked out for you uh, as far as uh, just, you know, putting some freedom into your life. And I think a lot of people look at that and they admire it and they wish they had it. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, listening to your podcast, listening to you being part of your uh, Facebook group, which is called the coffee, what's it called? Living in Tennessee coffee break group. Coffee break group. Yeah. That's what I was thinking it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good conversation going on in there. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I think people can just, you know, follow you there and they can get, you know, a lot of tips and, 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 and a lot of education on, on living a lifestyle that does build freedom into their lives. So I, I appreciate everything you're doing, Nicole, and I think you're doing a great job. Well, I really try to, to share my failures and mistakes very transparently. <laughs> Somebody asked me today if the coffee business was up since the shut-in. And I said about 20%, but it should be up 40% based on what I was planning this year. So I don't know if it's, I mean, technically, yes, it's up. Yeah. Um, but people are worried about money. So, you know, premium coffee may not be the first thing they buy. Yep. Um, but you know, 20% right now is not, not so bad. However, you know, he said, well, I'll keep it. It was for an article. He said, I'll keep it off the record. I said, actually, I don't care. I talk about my numbers on my podcast. I don't, I'm not, I'm not shy about it. People need to know I'm putting this much effort in and this is how much money I'm actually getting out of it. That's how they can start planning their own things. So we try to we try to be trans, as transparent as possible and not shy away from the things that didn't work. Like if my tomato growing this year is an abysmal mistake, everybody will know how much I put into it and how much I lost my <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that about your podcast and, and, and your group and stuff, how transparent you are and just sharing the failures too, because, you know, I mean, it, it's the reality of, of the lifestyle. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not as free in my lifestyle as you are. I mean, I've got a full time, you know, more than full time job and you know, I'm doing this stuff kind of on the side. And, and I'll tell you what, I have plenty of failures. I mean, a couple was it three years ago, we just were devastated by insects. I mean, I got the worst uh-huh. was two, two years, two years ago and we had the worst crop ever. I mean, and even last year was, was not great. I mean, we, you know, it got better, but yeah, I mean, just, we, you know, the weather sometimes doesn't cooperate. Sometimes you just get attacked by insects and you have to figure out some organic methods to try to, to combat yep. that. And, you know, and it's not easy. And sometimes it, it wears on you and you get frustrated and you're like, why am I doing this again? You know, and you have to remind yourself. And, uh, but you know, why what? did I Pe- just lose all my ducks to a predator? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's the reality of it. And, and there is frustrations and people need to see that, you know, we don't need to paint a picture for them. That's just completely, uh, rosy, but at the same time, I feel like it's a life worth living. And I, I think you do too. Yeah. No, I love this lifestyle. And I, you know, more people who want to come this way, I'm always happy to help them get started. I think you've, uh, I think you've played part in, in, in convincing a few people to come down in that area too, in, in, in the Tennessee area. <laughs> we were getting another one in a month. <laughs> yeah, I kind of seen that on your group the other day. I was like, oh, another one moving down there. She talked another one into it. <laughs> Matthew, welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, it's a great area, and if it wasn't for family commitments and things up here, I, I would think that'd probably be the place I'd be living too, because I really liked it down there. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice area. So, well, you keep up the great work, Nicole, and I appreciate. Uh, Thank you. Again, everything you're doing, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. 
Well, great interview. Nicole, thanks for being on the podcast, and you just had some great advice for folks that are looking to build self-reliance and freedom into their lives. And I know folks that are uh, heading down that path will really appreciate those tips and uh, and the interview. So thanks again for coming on. I will definitely put links to um, your podcast, Living Free in Tennessee, and your, uh, your website and the Facebook group, the Coffee Break Facebook group. And I really encourage everyone to go over and check out everything that Nicole's doing. She's doing some just great stuff over there. And uh, I know you'll enjoy everything that she's got going on. So check it out and uh, give her podcast a listen. Also wanted to let the Patreon members know that I had a podcast. I loaded a podcast up a couple days ago. Uh, it was actually a couple days before we got that big frost. And I actually did a podcast on uh, late freeze and frost protection for your garden. So I, uh, folks that are still in that situation, I mean, especially up north of me, they'll, they'll definitely uh, still get uh, the benefit from that podcast and, and just tips and clues on how to keep your garden alive when when the temps drop low so uh, it helped me out uh everything that uh, i talk about in there a lot of that stuff i did on my own garden and it worked out and uh, i saved my garden so uh, just i think some great tips in there if you're finding yourself in that situation so patreon members go check that out anybody else that's interested in being a patreon member we really appreciate the support and you can find a link to that in the uh, in the show notes of today's uh, podcast so thanks again for uh, for supporting us and to everyone else i hope that you you got through the uh the the cold snap just fine i hope your garden survived and i hope you have another great week of gardening and homesteading and until next week happy homesteading and god bless i hope you enjoyed this episode to learn more or find more episodes just head on over to haroldthornbrow.com thanks for listening